Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Returning back to the Cattleman's Call podcast, friends, we are going to continue to pay tribute to the men and women who have served our nation in the armed services as we celebrate Veterans Day here this week. And today's show I am excited to introduce uh, a pair of brothers that have served our nation and have also found themselves back in agriculture production. And uh, we turn today's conversation to the state of New York, where John and Peter Laning are joining us here today. Uh, John, I'll start with you first. How are things in your part of the woods here today? Well, things are fantastic. In fact, uh, in, in upstate New York, near Rochester, uh, where we live. It's a, it's a beautiful fall day, October. It's, it's my favorite time of the year. Um, we, we just sent three head of cattle to market. The sun is shining. It's, it's in the 50s in the day and just below freezing at night, so it's, it's fantastic. Well, that is great to hear. Uh, I can report here in north-central Montana, the wind is whipping about 40 miles an hour. There is <laughs> there is no snow on the ground because it got all blown away. It's been about 55 in the morning now. Earlier this week, it was about 12 degrees, but it's a typical fall, <laughs> windy day in Montana. And uh, Peter, uh, how's your day going in uh, upstate New York? Uh, same as my brother. It's, I love fall. It's a great time of year. The air is crisp. Um, there's always plenty to do around here, but uh, life is good. We're very pleased. Well, again, I want to thank you both for joining us here today, and uh, and also a big thank you to your service uh, uh, to our nation, also uh, uh, your spouse's service as well, and to all of our listeners who uh, have served our nation in the armed forces. Thank you so much. Uh, ha- being able to highlight veterans in agriculture is so important, and they, they play a key role in not only keeping our nation safe, but also making sure our national food supply is secure as well. That is a huge food security issue. Of course, having that reliable food supply that all of us in the cattle industry provide our consumers here at home and across the nation. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, how did you get to your start? Did you both grow up in agriculture in New York? John, I'll I'll let you go first. Uh, Is this something you've always been a part of, or is this something you've come uh, become a first-generation farmer for our listeners out there? Well, we grew up uh, out in the country in, here in western New York on a, on a small 75-acre farm. My dad was a, a, a banker. He, he ran the local Marine Midland Bank. But growing up, we always had chickens and sheep and, and six or eight head of beef cattle. Um, my dad was a, a dairy farmer when he was a kid growing up. They had a small herd of uh, Holsteins, uh, south of Buffalo, where he grew up. My mom was a farm girl too. They um, and her fa- her brother still uh, have a, a pretty large vegetable farm south of Buffalo. Uh, and then generations before them, they were also farmers. So it's kind of it's kind of come full circle. Um, we're not huge full time uh, beef producers by any means, but um, yeah, we've always we've always lived in the country and and um and wanted to raise cattle together after our military careers and and peter when uh people think of new york of course they think of new york city the hustle and bustle of the big apple 
a lot of folks don't know how rural the rest of New York is. Can, can you just maybe share a little bit about the, the landscape and the community where you live? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, having been in the military, whenever we travel, everyone always thought we were from the city. And we had to explain, you know, there's a there's a huge state that's not part of New York City. So uh, we live south of Rochester. It's it's Rochester's a good sized city, probably a quarter million people. And the area is, is over a million. But you go just outside the town and there's plenty of, of rural space. Um, New York City is a good six hour drive for us. So it's definitely not next door. Um, and New York is a huge dairy state, and that's our probably the that's the biggest agricultural industry. But there's lots of uh, vegetable farms, a lot of small beef farms across the state, um, a lot of orchards and apples with the moderate temperature, and also a, a very large uh, wine area. So a lot of grapes grow in New York. So it's a pretty diverse agricultural area across New York State. But uh, as you said, just six. Uh, hours uh, down from you there in the city, it, there there are a lot of consumers there too. So a great opportunity to grow different types of produce and protein and have those consumers uh, pretty close to home within the state boundaries. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of mouths that you can feed out there too. Oh, uh, very, very true. And then, you know, I, I'm also involved with the uh, the New York Beef Council and that, you know, the promotion aspect, and they really push that aspect downstate because uh, you're ex- exactly right. There's, you know, 19 plus million people in that area that that, that consume proteins, and, and we're here to try and support that need. And, John, as uh, I come back to you, was it you who, who led the way uh, to, to join the military? Were you the first of the brothers to, to join the armed forces? <laughs> Well, being the older brother, yes, I guess I guess I was. Um, but our dad, our dad served uh, in the army during the Korean War. Um, again, he was a farm kid. He grew up on a dairy farm, and he he could have taken the deferment, but he and a bunch of his buddies went down to the recruiting station in Buffalo, and and they <laughs> they all they signed up. I think one guy went to Germany, one guy went to Japan, and my dad went to the Second Infantry Division in Korea <laughs> during a shooting war. So. Uh, he kind of led the way and, you know, growing up, we'd, we'd talk to him and ask about his experiences and, you know, what he had done during the war, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, I always kind of wanted to serve um, just based on hearing my dad's story. So I went off to, to school. Uh, I studied criminal justice. I got a degree in criminal justice from Michigan state university. Um, but my intent was really never to use that, criminal justice degree, I kind of, uh, I kind of figured out shortly after I started college that I wanted to fly airplanes. And so, um, I finished up my degree and went off to, to flight school. And so, uh, going off to flight school, how many years did uh, you spend, uh, uh, flying? Well, um, I was really fortunate. I, I spent my entire career, 24 and a half years in the, in the air force, um, and I served in the active duty, the reserves, and the guard, the Air National Guard for the state of New Jersey. Um, but I flew my entire career. Um, a lot of times in the military, and Peter will tell you because his track was a little slightly different than mine, but a lot of times what they'll do is they'll take a pilot or an aviator, and you'll, you'll fly, you know, when you're a second lieutenant or first lieutenant, a captain, and then a little bit as a major. But then after that, you kind of, as you move up the ranks, they put you behind a desk and make you – uh, do more of the office stuff and the leadership stuff. And, um, I did all that stuff. Um, 
but I, I also managed to stay in the cockpit and fly my, my entire 24 and a half years, which is what I really love to do. So I was fortunate. Well, that that is just so great to, to, to see that you were able to do that and do what you love. But a question that I have, is it more of an adrenaline rush to uh, be flying or getting chased by maybe a mad mama cow in the crowds? <laughs> yeah, they both have their thrills. You know, I, I guess uh, Peter and I both like to do fun, exciting stuff. And yeah, getting in the pasture with a with a, a cow that's just giving birth to a calf can be uh, can be pretty fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to throw a little bit of humor in there. Um, and Peter, for yourself, let's talk about your track uh, into the military. Uh, same as my brother, you know, went off to college. Um, the ROTC program is what I pursued. Being the youngest of four, my parents were ecstatic because I was able to secure a scholarship. So I, I had a lot of large part of my college education paid for. Uh, through the U.S. military, but then with that comes a commitment to serve. Uh, so when I, so I went through Army ROTC through Cornell University, um, and then when I graduated, um, I was able to get active duty, uh, which is what I wanted. And I actually went off to Korea and I served in the Second Infantry Division, kind of like following my dad's footsteps. I really wanted to, to kind of be where he had been. Um, a, a whole different time of the, obviously what was going on over there. But I served there in the early '90s. Um, then I applied for and I was able to go to flight school for the Army. And then I went back and I started flying helicopters for the Army. Um, but inside the Army, uh, you get to branch inside your infantry, aviation, artillery, um, transportation, so on. And I was Medical Service Corps in the Army. And then what the Medical Service Corps gets to do is we fly the, the medevac or the dust-off helicopters, the, the big helicopter with the red crosses on it. And we evacuate patients off the battlefield. And so I was very fortunate. Uh, I go to flight school and continued in the medical track, and I got to fly for 14 years um, flying uh, medevac helicopters. I flew in, in Kosovo doing medevac. I flew in Iraq doing medevac, uh, and then across in some, some of the uh, continental United States doing that. And then as you transition, the Army, as you, as you get senior in rank, you transition out of flying. Um, we have warrant officers and younger guys that continue to fly, but I transitioned out. And I went more into the, the medical operations, medical leadership inside the Army. So I did, uh, I worked with trainees to train future medics. I got to go to Afghanistan and, and run medical operations over there and commanded at multiple levels. Um, so it was a great, a great career for me. I really enjoyed it. I did 25 years all on active duty, um, moving multiple stations uh, across the U.S., Germany, Korea, um, the Middle East, everything else. So I really enjoyed it. And I actually met my wife at year five in the military. And so we did the last, you know, 20 years together. We were always staying together. Um, and then we both retired in 2015 after 25 years. So we both had a great career. My wife was an Army nurse, and then she went back, got her nurse practitioner, and then she really went into hospital administration at the end. Uh, helping to run one of the large hospitals in Texas as we retired out of uh, Fort Bliss, Texas, before we came back to New York. So great. We loved our time. Would not change it for the world. And, and we have two boys. Um, and we, we, when we retired, they were going into sixth and eighth grade, and we moved back to a great school district here in New York. Um, and I live literally three miles from my brother, which is a nice a nice perk in his two kids. So, guys, what is it like? Uh, you traveled your entire careers living on military bases here in the U.S. and abroad. What's it like now to live so close together and uh, have your families working together in production agriculture? 
you know, it's a great, it, it, the hardest challenge in the military for, at least for my family was we used to move every two to three years. I think the longest we were any one place for, in the 25 years was almost just under four, but normally it was two or three or even one we'd move. So coming back and putting down roots and doing things that, that are going to be last was a great experience. And then working with my brother was just kind of a cherry on top. Um, uh, we both kind of reconnected. We've always stayed in contact over our entire careers. Uh, we're the youngest two of four, so we have two older sisters. Um, one lived just, you know, an hour away. My parents are still um, alive um, in their late 80s and 90s, uh, about an hour away near my one sister. The other's in Virginia. So just coming back to be around family, uh, participating in a community, uh, getting to work with my brother and do things and projects as a family was uh, just it, it, very different, but it kind of reminded us of our childhood, what it was like. So it was definitely refreshing to get back and do some of the basic things where you can put down roots and see the fruits of your labor over time. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll jump in here too, Lane. And, and yeah, after, after 24 years, 24 and a half years of, of moving around the country, I did active duty, reserve, and guard. So I was, I was fortunate enough to spend quite a bit of my career at, at, in one place at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, which is about a five and a half, six hour drive from here. So it's not terribly far away from where, where we grew up. Um, but, you know, for the first, for the first bunch of years, I was in California and Texas in North Carolina. And then, and then we moved to, to New Jersey where I met my wife and we settled down. But, um, but yeah, coming, coming back to this area an hour away from where we grew up on our small farm, I remember when we were kids, you know, we, we do all kinds of stuff. We'd be cutting firewood and clearing brush and, and, making fence and, and uh, clearing pastures, et cetera. And we always talked about, hey, maybe someday, you know, we can come back to this farm, my dad's place, my mom and dad's place, and, and raise some beef cattle together. Well, we didn't end up back there on their, on their place, but we came to, I would say, a, a really good area um, market-wise and school district-wise. We kind of chose that for the, for the kids. We both have two kids each. Uh, and we made it happen. So it's, it's, it's kind of been a full circle and kind of a, kind of a pretty neat way to, uh, to spend the last, you know, you know, hopefully the next 30, 40 years living here. Again, it's so great to, to hear your, your story from, uh, living abroad, serving the nation to, to being able to move back, uh, to where you both can end up working together. Could, could you believe when you first uh, joined the military to, to, uh, where you're at now that you both would be back together running a beef cow operation? Uh, John, I'll start with you. <laughs> well, yeah, once again, you know, it was, it was kind of a childhood dream. We always talked about maybe doing that someday because we, we, we had a really idyllic childhood growing up. You know, we had, we were in 4-H, we had, we had cattle, we had sheep and chickens, and we lived out in the country. We heated the house with wood. I mean, it was just a, uh, we hunted, we fished, we did all that fun stuff as kids growing up. And uh, to be able to come back and, and do that now as adults and, you know, with our kids and kind of show them that lifestyle has been a real blessing. I mean, it's just, it's been, uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, Peter, your take on that? I, I, yeah, I, John says it very well. It's just been uh, it, it, nothing we really thought of. You know, my career in the Army is I went in for four years out of college, not sure what I wanted to do. And then they, the military is very smart. In four years, they put a carrot in front of you, and you do a couple more, and they put another carrot in front of you, and you keep going. And before you know it, you got over 10. You're like, I'm going for it. Um, but I think the last, you know, when in our careers, when we got over 20, 
my wife and I were talking about with kids and family, like some stability and where we were in our careers and what we really wanted to do is, is a lifestyle. This kind of fit right into it. So we started talking, um, you know, more seriously down the road with my brother and everything else. And it just really fit in. As John said, we picked this area. We loved, um, our, our wives loved it, which means we were very happy because we liked it too. Uh, great school district, um, a good area for, um, you know, jobs and that type of stuff, and, and it all fit together. And then it just, we kind of stumbled in. We looked for property. We both wanted some place with land that we could raise some animals um, and do some of the just basic stuff that we enjoyed as kids and at least introduce our kids to it, although they didn't really get to experience it too much because by the time we got here and got set up, they were in their later years of high school, and John's both are off at college. I have one off for college and one is a senior in high school. But they do help, and they've got to experience some of that lifestyle and understand you know, where their food comes from and, and what we do and why we do it. John, could you maybe just walk us through what your business model looks like? What kind of cattle are you running? Uh, what type of finish are you putting on them? And, and how are you interacting with consumers? Sure, sure. So when we grew up, Peter and I grew up, we had um, some black Angus cattle, and they were, they were a little, um, and we didn't have a lot of good equipment either back then. Um, I remember once we had a steer that went through the side of an old barn because we were trying to catch it and, and do something with it, give it a shot or something. But, um, so, but we've, we've picked out a breed. Uh, we raised Red Angus, which we really like the breed. Uh, they're, they're pretty docile. We have a, a small herd. We're only at about 25 animals, um, but we interact with them every day. We're out there every day with them. So they're, 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 pretty, they're pretty docile. They're easy to work with. Uh, they're beautiful animals on the green grass. We have beautiful grass here in Western New York. So they, it's just a a good looking breed, good looking animal. And we do, uh, we do freezer sales. So we will do, we'll do a whole cow, a half, a quarter, and then we do a 25 pound box as well. Uh, And something else we do that, that we've just started recently is we'll take a cull cow and we'll take the primal cuts out of that animal. Um, the, some of the boneless cuts, and then we'll grind the rest and we'll sell uh, ground beef. So we do an 80-20 ground beef, and that sells extremely well in this area too. Um, my, my wife is pretty good at the social networking stuff. So we have a Facebook page, Laning Farms. It's on Facebook. And Peter and I don't post a whole lot of stuff there, but, but my wife kind of takes the reins on that and, and puts some stuff out. And we do little videos and pictures and stuff when we do calving and stuff. So she'll put that out there. And, and we have a really great neighborhood, um, a lot of support here in our, in our local area uh, with people that have bought our beef in the past. We've got a lot of return customers. We've got new customers coming on and asking us all the time if, if we're going to have beef. Uh, like I said earlier, we have three that just went off the market, and those, are, those have been sold out for, for weeks now. Um, so we'll get that uh, beef back probably right around Thanksgiving time and, and then Pete and I'll deliver it and it's, it's sold. And, and then we're going to be sold out until, until next summer. We send about oh seven or eight head per year to market. And so far we've been doing this now, I think five or six years. Um, but our market is slowly building and we're, we're selling every bit of uh, beef that we could produce. And I'll just chime in that lane. Yeah. As we, as we were, we're slowly expanding our herd. We're just doing it. We started with, you know, just a, a couple of trios, uh, cow-calf pregnant mom, and then we've, we've just suddenly grown every year. So we'll, we'll continue to grow a little bit more and then go from there. But our big push is, again, that, that 
pasture to plate, that local beef. Um, we support all beef, but you know we we have a niche market here in Western New York, um, and again, a lot that's pretty common in this part of the state to have a lot of smaller beef farms. But it's really just connecting with the consumers. They drive by, they see the cattle on pasture. Uh, we talk to our consumers. We like we deliver it ourselves, so we can explain who we are, what we do, and how we do it. Um, and a lot of people have a lot of great questions about it. And I think a lot of the small farmers in this area. And I'm sure across the nation, when COVID hit and there was, you know, food issues, uh, you know, our business went through the roof. People were a little bit panic buying, um, but that's settled down now. And we've got a nice clientele of returning customers, and we just try and connect with our customers and make sure they know where their meat comes from and how it works. And we've got some good local butchers here in New York that make it all happen for us. And and one other thing, too, this is John uh, cutting in. Uh, you asked about finishing our cattle. So they're on grass year-round. Again, we have we have really nice pastures. Uh, good grass in the pastures, and then we buy our hay. We don't have the, the haying equipment or the land right now uh, to, to make our own hay, uh, so we buy hay from a local farmer, uh, and then we do grain finish about the last 60 to 60 to 80 days, and again, we buy uh, grain from that, from that same uh, hay farmer. He also uh, grinds up some grain for us, and we, we buy local grain and, and finish our animals off that way. And Peter, what are some of the struggles or learning opportunities that you've both gone through in this journey together? Well, I would say learning opportunities. I would say, uh, you know, one, building fence and discovering that you have way more rocky soil than you thought you did. You know, so those are the, the humorous ones that are not, not earth shattering, but you learn around them. So my brother and I, we bought some fence earlier on, and we realized that we can do it a lot cheaper. So we, we've become pretty good fence builders now. We do a lot of woven wire here because of where we live, and we do have neighbors. So we use less electric and more woven. And we've learned a lot about animal health. Um, I will tell you the animal husbandry aspect, we've learned a lot, um, anywhere from you know just calving and nutrition, uh, how to finish our animals a little bit better. Uh, we've learned a lot about the you know the cuts of beef and giving be able to, to – supply our customers with a little bit of knowledge. We're not butchers, but over the years, we've gotten much smarter at, at the best cuts and how to do it and what we can recommend to our folks. Um, but animal husbandry, is you're always learning, right? On, on the health of an animal, you learn a new problem, a new issue, something like that. We, you know, we've been blessed. We've, we've had, uh, we breed for calving ease. We do AI, so we've not brought a bull in because of what we do in our, our, our system. So we, we, as John said, we spent a little money up front to buy a good, you know, a, a good squeeze uh, shoot system with swing gates, so we can handle our, our cattle in a very uh, safe, controlled manner, in a calm manner, and it's made life much better for us and our animals. But then, you know, just this year, we lost, uh, we lost our first calf. Um, you know, stillborn was the first for us, and the next calf born after that, we had to get the vet because the calf was backwards and upside down. So every day you're always learning something new, um, especially during, I guess, hey, with health of the animals, probably the number one thing we've learned the most on. And John, in the military, you learn how to think on your feet, to think critically. What are some comparables that you see in the day-to-day -day from your former career uh, in the Air Force to now being uh, in the livestock business? Yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot of, of parallels there, but there are some. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're flying airplanes, you've got to be calm. you just got to be relaxed. If something bad happens, you can't panic. You can't freak out. you just got to kind of say, okay, count to three, and then, you know, r run your checklist. And, 
it's kind of like that with, with our cattle, especially like Pete was saying with, with the calving, we, we did lose a calf this year. Uh, and it, it, they happened to be at my place when they were, when they were calving. And I learned that, you know, when, once the cow starts showing, um, and you got a hoof and a, and a, and a muzzle sticking out, give them an hour and a half, two hours, but then don't hesitate to call the vet if you need help or, or call, call in reinforcements to, to kind of help you pull that calf out. So, but again, you can't panic. You can't freak out. You just kind of have to run the checklist and, and, and go with your gut and hopefully do the right thing. And I would say for both of us too, it's, you know, it's management, you know, in the military, it's a lot about leadership, uh, planning. Um, we were both leaders in the military. You take care of your, your airmen, your soldiers, people working for you. So for us, you know, if, you know, cattle people always, I, I work part-time for a friend of mine who has a vegetable farm and, you know, vegetables, you, you put it in the spring and you harvest in the fall and cattle are not quite that way. It's a long, you got to take the long view. And so we, we have to plan long-term. Um, it's not six weeks if we're, you know, we're looking at two years out and three years out and making plans long-term. So making that happen and then just, you know, managing the herd and, and just making sure we're making the good decisions for, for them and for our families and for us. So I think all those things kind of pull in. But there's not a lot of parallels um, between directly what we do in the military and what you do in farming. But I think it's just it's that leadership, that management and making sure you're making good decisions going forward. Peter, I, I know you serve as uh, the chair of the New York Beef Council. Uh, how has being involved in beef promotion and uh, checkoff dollar allocations helped uh, you engage more with consumers and also ultimately help improve your marketing and relationship with the folks that uh, enjoy your beef? Well, you know, I, I work with, with Gino Tool runs the New York. She's our executive director for the New York Beef Council, and she does an amazing job. And so I'm the chair right now. I've been on the board for three years. I've done one year as the chair. But really, when I first started on the board, didn't know much about the checkoff. John and I have, are, are members of the New York Beef Producers Association. So we, we've gone to their annual meetings and training sessions and stuff. And we, we've both gotten BQA certified, which we think is very important. So we're doing that. And then working with Gene, I've gone back and done the MBA, the Masters of Beef Advocacy. So that's been a great program to educate me learning how the checkoff dollars are, one, collected where they come and where they go, uh, understanding the federation, it's all the different angles, is still a learning process, but it's really helped me learn some skills on how to connect, how to use social media through some of the classes the New York Beef Council has put on uh, to, to enhance our skills. Um, you know, and the mission of the Beef Council in New York here is, you know, enhance the, you know, the lives of the consumers by connecting them with the beef and the beef community. And so our board has been very proactive using the checkoff dollars we get, partnering with partner states um, that help us expand our reach uh, throughout New York and with a large population, reaching those people and explaining why beef is a great protein and the nutrition aspect. So I guess it's a full spectrum of things you learn on the Beef Council um, that I've really enjoyed just tying to that promotion, understanding how the beef checkoff dollars are used, and what an amazing benefit is, I think, for all beef producers to see the checkoff dollars in use. Where, where do you see your operation uh, going in the future? I know you're slowly growing and, and increasing that herd uh, each year, but, John, where, where, what is your ultimate goal for the future of, uh, of your Red Angus herd? Well, yeah, we're, we're about 25 head right now, and, and that – at the moment, that's a pretty good sweet spot for us. Um, I, I still work full-time. I fly for American Airlines. 
So I'm coming and going all the time. Um, I'm traveling here and there and everywhere. And Peter is here, you know, most of the time. Um, so it kind of, the responsibilities fall pretty heavily on him. Um, so right now I think 25 to 30 head is a good number for us. Uh, I'm not going to be flying in the airlines forever. So another six, eight years, I think I'll be done. I'll retire. Um, and I'll still be in my 60s, so I won't be, you know, too old. So at that point, you know, I think maybe we could expand the herd a little bit. We've talked, we've talked about running um, stockers, uh, possibly, um, but again, that takes more land. And at the moment, we we just don't have the pasture for that. Um, but we're always on the lookout for for extra property and more property if we could swing that, you know, in in our local area. Yeah, one of the challenges in New York is. I, this is not a huge populated area up here. There's plenty of rural area, but the land is not inexpensive. So to make the finances work of, of uh, expanding um, is a challenge. We do lease land right now. We lease about 20 acres from one of our neighbors, and that's all pasture land, and it's, it's great land. And it allowed us to you know, almost double our herd size, and we were able to add that piece in. Um, and, and, Pete, I'll, I'm going to throw in, too, uh, New York State has phenomenal, phenomenal cropland. In, in fact, uh, where, I, where we live – uh, the, the soil is, is considered prime. It's some of the best soil in New York State, which is some of the best soil in the, in the country, if not the world. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of farming, a lot of agriculture up here, but a lot of it is, is uh, soybeans, corn, wheat, potatoes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a lot, of, a lot of farmland up here that's not necessarily open or available for, for us to expand our operations. Now, you mentioned, of course, uh, the communities that uh, you were able to move back into. Uh, Peter, how were you involved, and John, how were you both involved in your communities, giving back and being involved in agriculture, but also just being members of uh, the the uh, New York community up there? Uh, Peter, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I've probably uh, over, over exceeded my capacity in that realm. I, and I'll just back it up, because when you're in the military, you're moving Every couple of years, we're, we lived on military bases. We actually lived in quite a few just communities on the outside of bases in cities like San Antonio, too. But because of our lifestyle and deployments and jobs, um, my wife and I, and same with John and Sandy, you, you couldn't really get involved with the schools and the systems and the, and the communities because you're going to be moving and your jobs don't allow it. So, so here, you know, I serve on the New York Beef Producers Council um, as a region member. Um, and I'm, I'm their, their rep onto New York Beef, uh, the New York Beef Council from the producer side, so I'm tied with those two organizations. And in the community, uh, John and I both serve um, uh, leadership in our, in our local church. Um, and in addition, you know, I'm on the sports boosters for school. I, I work with the local um, soccer, the travel club that travels here in western New York. I'm the treasurer for them. And I'm actually on my, my ag fraternity back at Cornell um, AGR, I serve on their board also. So I, I've, I'm on plenty of boards and plenty of opportunities to get involved in the committee. But I've really enjoyed it. Um, I just got to make sure I don't get overextended sometimes. Yeah, Lane, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in there that Peter, Peter kind of uh, picks up the slack for his older brother. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's definitely a, a mover and a shaker, and he's, he's, he's involved with everything you can imagine in the local community here where I'm still, I'm still a working stiff, so I still, I, I still have to put a uniform on and go to work um 15 16 17 days a month so uh peter's peter's definitely picking up the slack for for me 
Well, uh, I, I will say, uh, Peter, uh, I'm also a AGR alumni from Montana State, the oh. Alpha Delta chapter, so it's always great to catch Excellent. up. And, and it, it's always the AGRs that are picking up the slack, John. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it. Uh, yeah, I was not in a fraternity at Michigan State, I, although I did our ROTC was my fraternity, yep. I guess, back in those days. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, kind of one of the last topics I want to talk about is uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, tips, advice that you have for m- young men or women or, or, or folks that are coming out of uh, military careers that are looking at an opportunity to get involved in agriculture production. What are some tips, some resources, some organizations that have been real key in helping uh, you uh, get to where you are today? John, I'll, I'll let you start first. Well, I think I'm going to swing this one off to my little brother because I think he's got more of a uh, more of an angle on that on that question. Um, go ahead, Pete. Yeah, yeah. I would say there's there's three organizations that really helped us launch. Uh, first, we started with uh, Cooperative Extension through Cornell. Um, they have some great resources just to give us some good sound advice. Uh, New York State has a, a beef specialist. Uh, Dr. Baker, who's actually just retired, uh, was a great help. And there are some other folks inside New York State that really gave us some really good knowledge and just connections and people you could call. Uh, the next one would be that you know the New York beef producers or, or beef producers join a professional organization um, that represents your state, and you're going to meet a lot of like-minded people. Um, some of them we, John and I, will call today and ask a question if we got a question. And there's some great friends we've met that have already gone before us. And that we lean on is almost as mentors to help us answer questions, give us advice. So, so again, Cooperative Extension, your local beef producer association, and then uh, NRCS, uh, which I just blanked on the acronym standing for, but they have some great resources. Although we didn't use them, we did meet them and 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 work with them and, and do some proposals on land management um, for water safety. Uh, converting some land and some pasture and stuff like that. So NRCS is another uh, a great program. And then New York State also has, um, they have a veteran farmer program here in New York that has helped us. Um, and so they also have a lot of small online classes that we've taken some classes on uh, beef production, um, civil pasturing, which is popular here in New York, which is basically using woods and, and, and wooded areas as pasture, which we do here. So those are the three biggest organizations that I'd say that really helped us get off uh, and get going and from there. And then, you know, we're, we did remember we joined um, NCBA just to get a, a nationwide perspective on things. So we've, we've learned a lot to these organizations, the classes they offer, um, but you got to find a mentor, someone that you can call and talk to. And we've met those mentors through these other programs. And then, and then there's another one too, Pete. Uh, don't forget your your vet. Yeah, yeah. You got to have a you got to have a good relationship with your veterinarian. Yes. Um, we we found a, a just a fantastic vet, Dr. Ben Kenny, uh, here in Western New York, and and he's just been a, a godsend. I mean, I can I can call him on his cell phone, and and he'll pick up and and walk us through if we ever have any problems. So. Get, get yourself a good veterinarian and have a good relationship with that vet. No, the veterinarians are so, so important. And uh, uh, my, my second part to that question, what are some tips maybe for uh, veterans looking to get into agriculture? I know you mentioned having that mentorship, but uh, what's one quick tip you have for them aside from uh, uh, trying to find those, those quick resources uh, that you mentioned before? 
I'm just trying to think for a, it's almost anybody entering. You, you got to find a niche market, right? Find where you want to go with your, with your business and then go for it. We were blessed that we ended a career and starting a farm is, is, is you well know, Lane is, is not inexpensive. You know, you just don't walk out and, and build fence and buy cows and start doing the right thing. So figure out where you're going with your market and then start small and slowly build on it and do something you really enjoy. There, there you go. Well, again, those are great tips. And uh, uh, again, on behalf of the crew at NCBA and all of our listeners to the Cattleman's Call podcast, we again just want to thank all the men and women who have served our nation in the armed services. Uh, We wouldn't be the nation that we are without that, uh, that dedication to our nation. And we have to remember those who did make the ultimate sacrifice to ensure our freedoms. But gentlemen, I, I know it's probably a busy day out in New York. Uh, any last thoughts or comments you would just like to share with our audience tuning in from across the nation today? I, I would just say my wife and I, we would not change a thing. We love serving in the military. It was great to us, great to our family. We learned a lot of skills uh, we really enjoyed our time. There's definitely challenges in the military, um, but I would encourage any any young person thinking about it, I will just tell you it's an extremely rewarding career. Uh, we loved our time. We're happy where we're at today in life, um, but the military really set us on the pathway to allow us to do what we're doing now. So, again, uh, it was an honor to serve, and we, we, we loved our time. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, Pete. Um, I would never, ever hesitate to – try to dissuade someone from serving in the military a lot of times they get bad press and you think oh my gosh it's you know i'm going to go peel potatoes or something or something horrible but the the training the um the opportunities the travel the benefits everything for over even a, a four-year um enlistment it just just fantastic and you get to serve this this great country of ours too so it's it's been fantastic well, again, uh, serving our nation and also feeding our nation as well. Uh, hats off to you both. And uh, hopefully uh, we can run along and, and meet each other maybe at, at a New York meeting or at a National Cattlemen's uh, Cattle Convention someday. Awesome. Thank you, Lee. We appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to us. Well, again, friends, uh, thank you so much to uh, Peter and John joining us here today. And uh, look them up online as well uh, on social media. And again, uh, thank you both for uh, serving our country and uh, happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans uh, out across the countryside and the nation. Friends, that'll do it for today's Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host, Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.